Ciao, Ni Hao, Yasu, Bonjour, Guten Tag. My name is Lydia, and I'm your host of the Global Travel Junkie podcast, where we'll discover new luxury destinations and experiences together. So let's get started and meet today's guest. Hello, everyone. It's Lydia with the Global Travel Junkie podcast and YouTube channel. And today I'm excited to introduce you to our next guest. I'm sitting here with Sean Stanley with Stanley Safaris. Hi, Sean. Hi, Lydia. How are you? I'm doing great. Where are you in the world today? Where are you sitting? Uh, I am in the beautiful Cape Town in South Africa. That's where I call home. Um, voted one of the most beautiful cities in the world. So we're very privileged to to live here. Oh, well, that's a destination spot on its own, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. Must, must do, must do. Yes, awesome. Well, hopefully one day I'll get to Africa myself. So today we're going to talk to Sean and he's going to tell us all about the Stanley Safaris and how they custom tailor safaris that are um, exactly what you're looking for. So without further ado, let me go ahead and ask Sean, would you mind just introducing yourself a little bit? Give us a little background about where you came from and sure. what you've been doing up until now. So, uh, yeah, I, I was very lucky to grow up in South Africa. Uh, I grew up in Durban, which is up the East coast. Um, and very fortunate to have parents that love to travel and go on safari. So, from a very young age, I got to explore the whole of Southern Africa. And this was back in the 80s and 90s before there were any luxury camps and lodges and, and kind of luxury tourism industry. So we got to explore some amazing places way off the beaten track, um, you know, camp in the remote areas of Namibia and on islands in the Okavango Delta and Botswana. Um, and, and those memories stayed with me my whole life um, and kind of shaped my future. So when I finished school, I studied to become a safari guide and I worked as a guide for a year in Zimbabwe and Zambia, taking guests on walks and game drives and horse riding and all those amazing things that we can do out here in Africa. Um, and then I went over to the UK and I lived in the UK for 12 and a half years. But while I was there, I was traveling around, but my heart was always in Africa. That, that's where I'm from and that's where my heart is um, is based. So I started looking around and, and found a job in a tourism company. Um, and we we designed wildlife trips around the world. And that was my first taste into this sort of industry. Um, in 2013, I moved back to South Africa. I'd had enough of the UK. Um, moved <laughs> back to South Africa and we settled here in Cape Town. And yeah, just carried on uh, in the industry three three and a bit years ago now so during covid i started standing safaris um you know using my extensive knowledge of having traveled across africa um my knowledge of having worked in the industry before and i, I again i'm lucky to have worked in in various aspects of the industry from guides to traveler to uh, lodge operator sales and marketing um, so i have quite a wide range of of the industry um, and use that to kind of go, let's, let's do something different um, with planning trips out to Africa for, for my guests. Um, and that's where we are today, three and a bit years later, and having looked back and loving what I do. That's awesome. And I just, what comes to mind as you're talking is, 
I mean, the network that you have been able to build up for all the years that you've been. Mm. Um, so really curating the best of the best, right? And that's what you do yep. with uh, Stanley Savari. So let's still yep. dive in a little deeper. I want the audience to understand what type of safaris and where are you going and what are you offering? And then we'll just ask individual questions after that. So, you know, going back to, to your comments about the networking, you know, in, in what I do, that networking is extremely important. And over the years, I've built up really strong relationships with a lot of the owners of camps and lodges. And as part of our ethos that we only work with privately owned camps and lodges and hotels, we stay away from the big corporate hotel chains where you don't get the same attention to detail on the personal service. So we're very selective in terms of who we partner with. And we know that by partnering with those particular camps and lodges, we're going to send our guests to the best places for the wildlife. They're going to get the most amazing guides and service within the camps. But something that's very, very important for us is the the ethos of each of the properties and their commitment to the local conservation and community projects. Um, so we know that by sending our guests to these particular camps, the money is going back into local community and local conservation projects um, and, and sustainable um, you know, methods in terms of the camps that they're operating, but who they're employing um, and then the projects with working with the local uh, community. So using all of that, we really get to know who our guests are I spend a lot of time talking to my guests on the phone and understanding who they are, what they enjoy doing when they travel. A lot of my guests are first timers to Africa, so they don't have a, a, a very big idea in terms of what to expect. So, or what I to ask get, for. Exactly. Yeah. The, I hear it so often guests saying that we've been on the internet and it's just, there's so much information out there. It's really overwhelming. And that, that's the thing with Africa is every country is completely different. Every country has something different to offer it. And, if you don't know where to look and, and what to look for, it you just go down this rabbit hole and it becomes a complete uh, nightmare in terms of trying to understand everything. So I try and speak to my guests and understand who they are, what they enjoy doing when they're traveling. Are they active people? Do they like their food and their wine? Are they just wanting to go and relax? The more information I can get from them, the better. And then from there, I start to design an itinerary for them that is specific to them. We don't have any set packages that we just send out we we speak to everybody we get to know who they are and then we design something specific to them and there yeah. are so many different possibilities um you know Af africa is is incredible and as i said every country is completely different and within the country there's different things to see and do and everybody is different so I, i'd find it's impossible um just to send out a set package to everybody um you know one size fits all approach that's not what we do um, and by getting to know my guests, we, we really tailor something specific to them. You know, what comes to mind, it's like the difference between do you want to walk to the gorillas or do you want to drive to the gorillas and see them at a distance? You know, like yeah. whether you can have I saw you have walking tours. And so I'm yes. thinking there's the the Jeep option or there's mm -hmm. the walk with the animals yeah. option. Right. So, yeah. So so we we're very much about experience and, and I try and, and push the, the comfort levels of my guests a little bit. You know, when people think they're going to go walking and then you've got cheetah or elephants and lions around them, <laughs> it does make people a little bit nervous. But um, I try and encourage all my guests to try as much as possible. You know, 
there's more to Africa than the big five. And everybody has in their mind that they have to see the big five, your lion, your leopard, elephant, buffalo, and rhino, and tick those boxes. But there's so much more to Africa. Um, and it's there's more to Africa than just sitting in a Jeep and being driven around and seeing the animals. So we do a lot of things like walking safaris, like helicopter safaris, cultural experiences, um, canoeing, honeymoons, beaches. Um, yeah, we try and, and get our guests to do as much as possible when they're out on safari and in Africa. The landscapes are incredible. You know, like behind me here, this is the Okavango Delta in Botswana, which is a, an amazing wetland. Behind you, you're in the Serengeti in Tanzania, these amazing grasslands and, and acacia trees. Um, so yeah, we try and encourage our guests to, to spend time in a place, not to rush around too much. But then while they're there, really kind of get under the skin of the country, get to know the people, um, and then try the different experiences. Try a walking safari. Push your, your comfort levels a little bit. Um, and, and you're going to come away completely blown away by, by what Africa has to offer. Okay, good. So, so I understand it's very custom tailored. And that's a, the term they're using these days is bespoke, right? Yes. Um, but it just means custom tailored for you. So that's mm -hmm. something that you focus on. So we understand that. And I want to ask about specific safaris later in the podcast. But first, I want to talk about if I wanted to come to your safari, tell me what that experience is. If, if I need to just get to the airport and from there, what happens? Like, let's understand for the listener what do I have to do and what are you doing for me? So we, we try and take care of as much as possible, um, as much of the legwork as possible and take away that stress from, from our guests. So the, the process that we go through is once I receive uh, an inquiry or an interest from somebody, I take about 10 days to two weeks kind of going backwards and forwards after the initial call, designing an itinerary. And that, what that looks like is typically from the time you arrive into Africa until the time you leave Africa. We take care of everything in between. So you'll be met at the airport. Uh, you'll be assisted with your immigration. You'll be handed over to somebody who will then transfer you through to the hotel. Um, we do all your hotel reservations in places like Cape Town. We do your restaurant reservations for you as well if you want. Um, we organize all your tours, internal flights, the lodging. Everything is taken care of while you're in Africa. And that's the initial package that we put together. Um, once we've made the tweaks and you're happy with what we've presented to you, you're happy with the price, you're happy with what we're offering, we then start to go ahead and look at availability and check space and then put that on hold. Then we start looking at the international flights separately to that. Um, and nowadays, you know, it's very easy for people to book international flights online themselves. They've got their points, they earn points by, by booking on their credit cards and things like that. So a lot of my guests book their international flights themselves, um, but I'm always there to assist and advise. And we look at flights beforehand, make sure they work with the itinerary, and then they go ahead and book. But I also do book international flights for guests that want me to handle everything. We also take care of that as well. You know, that brings to mind, and, and I don't know the answer to this question, so I'm going to ask, but you said I. So... Are you literally like meeting um, the in every destination? Are you literally the tour person or do you have staff and that it's your company and then you have staff that meet them and carry them through the experience? What what is you what was is Stanley Safari? Yeah, 
So I, I don't. I don't personally uh, do all of that sort of stuff. Okay. When my guests are in Cape Town, I make an effort to go through and meet with them and have a coffee and just put a face to the emails and WhatsApps and phone calls. Okay. Um, but no, it, it basically comes down it's a to representative. our partners. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we, okay. we work with partners around Africa, around Southern and East Africa, and they specialize in the transfers. They specialize in wine tours. Um, and I've selected those by having met them and known them through through my years in the industry. Yes, um, years. Yeah. 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 Okay, so got it's, it. It's quite a complicated thing putting an itinerary together, all the <laughs> logistical parts, the transfers, the meets, the um, you know, the internal flights, all that sort of stuff. It, it is quite a complex uh, thing to do, but it's fun. I enjoy doing it. Well, and I would say that I would much rather trust someone who's lived in the continent mm. than to hire a um, travel agent who has been on it once and yeah. hasn't been able to actually know the locals, know the, know what's happening, like what's up to Correct. date. And it's your network that mm. keeps you informed of what's good and what to, you know, be aware of and how to adjust, right. Yeah. Based on like Correct. conditions, right. Booking, booking a safari is very different to, to booking a city hotel. Um, you know, if you're booking a city hotel in New York, for example, you can book in the center of town and you're going to have access to, to all the major sites. Booking a safari lodge, it, you have to book the right camp for you. You have to book the right location for the camp, depending on the time of the year, depending on what you're wanting to do, depending on what you're wanting to see. Um, and, and so that sort of knowledge only comes through being here, experiencing it, um, having worked with different properties. It, yeah, yeah. It, it is and a very I, specialist thing. And you know what? I mean, I've been in marketing for a long time, but you know what comes to mind is just because something has a uh, a reputation. I mean, it's all dependent on the employees. So you mm -hmm. need that long term relationship experience to know that it's consistently been a five star. You know, it's yeah. not a new five star. You know, so I think that. I'm sure y'all have that experience with all yeah. your years of experience. So just something to, to think about. So is there, um, so, you know, something I did with another guest I want to do with you is, um, can you help us understand what to watch out for when you're booking a safari, for instance, and I don't I'm not trying to trash talk anyone, but what I want to say is, you need to be asking this question. You need to be asking that question. And of course, obviously, you're going to be offering all these things that you're mm -hmm. listing. But be careful of, I'll give you an example, like another guest was letting us know that not every operator is sustainable. So if you care about how they treat their mm -hmm the ecological, you know, environment, then you need to be asking these questions to yeah. make sure that they match with your beliefs and values about how you want to travel. So can yeah. you just give us an idea of like some of the questions we need to be asking you so that we know that it's important that you offer those things? Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, it does. Um <sighs> Tricky question, you know, from 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 my point of view, and something that I think frustrates me the most in in this industry is that Africa is about the the privately owned camps and lodges, the locally owned camps and lodges, and that is very important. Um, we've got the big hotel chains that are moving in and and kind of opening up nice big lodges and things like that, and 
a lot of people get caught up in that brand, um, international brand, not necessarily realizing that the money they're spending is going out of the country and right. it's not being kept in the country. Um, and I think that's quite important. The local sure economy. That, correct. Yeah. And and in Africa, that is it's very important. You know, we there's a lot of poverty in Africa. Um, and when you have villages on the outskirts of these national parks, uh, they need to understand the value of the wildlife. Otherwise, that's where your poaching problems start to to arise from. And if the money isn't staying in the country, in the area, and it's leaving and going outside, then then that's a big problem. That's that's when you know the poverty is going to increase. Your the local villages aren't going to see the value of the wildlife, and they're going to go back in and start hunting again. So right. um, try and work with an operator that knows what they're talking about. Um, unfortunately, uh, you know this whole conservation and community blurb and marketing spiel blurb is is too often used and not done on the ground acted on yeah correct yeah so so make sure you know ask about it a lot of the the responsible properties in that will have documents they will have information about the projects that they're supporting that they're working with where the money is going um for me a very big thing is local employment there's nothing worse than walking into this lovely lodge or camp and you've got an expat that's running this camp and you're like I need to, I need to know a bit more about the the local culture and, and the local people and see that support. So, for me, local empo- employment is a very big thing. That's great. Um, so yeah, you know, in in Africa, one person is supporting seven or eight different uh, family members back home, and so that one job in the lodge is is a hugely important thing for conservation going forward. So, make sure that you you are booking with a a responsible tour operator and that yeah. they are using responsible properties on the ground and try and stay away from the big brands, try and stay away from the big corporate hotels. Um, you know, safari is a very intimate experience. You can see in the, in the vehicle behind you there, you've got, what's that? Four people on a vehicle going and you, you're <laughs> tracking these cheetah through, through the Serengeti. It's a, it's an intimate experience. It's not a, it's not a bus it's tour. It's not a caravan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, so that intimate experience needs to translate back into the camp. Um, and when, you, when you're staying at a big corporate hotel chain, the, the staff have a big manual that they have to abide by. Whereas when you're staying at a private camp, they're given a lot more freedom to be themselves. And that's when you start to understand a little bit more about the culture of Africa and what it was like growing up in Africa. Um, so, yeah. Right. Book local. And, and try and make sure the money stays in the country and goes towards conservation and community. Yeah, that's wonderful. So great. That was a good, that was a serious question. I wasn't yep. necessarily planning on asking it, but I think it's helpful when people are trying to discern who are they going to pick? Who are they going to look mm-hmm. at? You know, I want them to be consciously aware yep. of some of the things that if they really care about the animals and this is why they're going, they can actually help by picking a operator who gives back to the employees you know the employer um the local then local employment that's what i was looking for okay so sorry sorry lydia i think you know something else that uh not a lot of people know about is there's often quite a few uh chains in the link between the guest and and the end product um 
especially you know if you're booking through a travel agent that's maybe not specialized in in a safari they're relying on somebody else to to give them their information and then make all the bookings and things like that so there's often quite a few links in that chain before you actually end up on your safari um and and obviously the more links in a chain the more chances there is of something breaking and going wrong um slipping so through the cracks try exactly try and cut down on the number of links in the chain we we work directly with each property um and so it's it's the guest me and the property um so we we try and cut out that sort of uh problem yeah that middleman so to speak right yeah like more than one middleman yes <laughs> several yes. middlemen exactly so good okay do you think that we covered about that serious topic do you think i we've touched on everything that people need to be considered we talked about local experience reviews being um responsible sustainable um what are any other pieces short cycle for how many hands touch uh, an opportunity keep it intimate because every yep. safari is an intimate scenario that's all the serious stuff is there any other serious stuff before we start digging into let's get the audience excited about taking one of these uh safaris next because i'm going to ask you questions about the safaris okay so uh, i think i think something that um potentially a, a serious topic is is the cost of a safari and i think a lot of people underestimate the cost of a safari and don't necessarily understand why it costs so much so um on, or all, on the, average, all the cost involved in the yes. safari right whose hands so we, are in it right we we did a, a comparison um actually the 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 place behind me here in okavango delta it's uh it's the cylinder reserve in in botswana um it's several hundred thousand hectares of pure wilderness i think there's only 44 tourist beds that has access to all of that when we compared that to new york it would mean that there were uh, we would only allow 22 tourists into the whole of new york city at any one time so when you're paying for your safari you're paying for that exclusivity you're paying to go on a game drive like what's happening behind you and not have to fight everybody else to get that viewing. It's not great for the, the guests and it's not great for the wildlife if you have hundreds of vehicles chasing these animals around. So the, the, the true safari is, is being out in these wilderness places um, and, and not harassing the animals, having the exclusivity of being able to enjoy the sightings, um, but that does come at a cost. You know, the staff of the camps, you have to have your mechanics, your, uh, your waiters, your chefs, your cleaning staff all have to be on site uh, because you're so remote. They have to have a staff village. Um, the supplies have to be flown in or driven in, and it often takes days to get there. You know, you can't just pop to the corner shop and, and buy some eggs because you've run out of eggs. You're in the middle of nowhere. And I think a lot of people underestimate the cost of, of a safari and why it costs so much. Yeah. And then on top of that, the cost of conserving all of this. You know, you've got anti-poaching patrols that go out um, all that sort of stuff, which all needs to be kind of incorporated within the cost of the safari experience. Yeah, it kind of the analogy I feel like is coming to mind. It's like to help people visualize like it's a a small, you know, boat yacht experience versus a large cruise ship experience yeah. where there's thousands of people on Correct. and you're still floating in the same ocean. Right. Yeah. But are you on a small mm -hmm. yacht with 
you know, six other guests or are you with yeah. thousands of other guests? So yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so exclusivity, intimacy, um, you know, it, it there are expenses to flying in your food mm -hmm. for the night, you know, so, so you're paying for the opportunity to have, to go where the animals are and not have those animals be stressed out because there's too many people and they're not acting normal. We, we want to be able to go see how they act in their own environment. Right. So you're Absolutely. just, you're just a fly on the wall in yep. this case, right? A small fly. Okay, Correct. good. That's all good things to think about now regarding. So we know you offer an amazing experience. Now let's talk about some of those experiences just to help people. Like if you've never even considered a safari, this conversation we're about to dive into might get you excited about calling Stanley safaris and seeing what's possible for you. So I want to ask first, I saw on your website, the Seychelles. Can you tell me about your trip to the Seychelles? What is that like? Is that near Madagascar? Yeah, it's just, just north from Madagascar. Um, okay. And yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's your typical tropical beach destination, uh, powder white sandy beaches, turquoise waters, um, but what makes the Seychelles different are those granite boulders on the beach, which makes it really picturesque. Um, so there's a, a particular beach on Ladigue Island uh, that is the most photographed beach on Instagram. Uh, you know, <laughs> so everybody goes there to to take their photos. Um, but yeah, it's it really is. It's an amazing uh, destination. We typically use it as a relaxing stop at the end of a safari. Okay. Uh, so we'll do the safari in South Africa or Tanzania or Kenya or something like that. And then go and do a few days relaxing on the beach in the Seychelles. Um, and yeah, lots of different beaches and islands to choose. I think it's 115 islands in, uh, in the Seychelles. So you've got lots of choice there. Um, wow. Yeah. And I was lucky to do it with my family a couple of years ago now. And we did the three main islands. And then we went off to Alphonse Island, which is a private island. It's about an hour's flight into the middle of nowhere. And uh, the snorkeling, the experiences we had there was just incredible. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. I'm, I, typically, I'm not a beach person. I'm not the type of person to sit on a beach and do right, nothing. Right, lay around. Uh, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's not me. I need things to do. Um, and with the snorkeling and the boat trips and the sandbank lunches and going looking for manta rays and dolphins and all that was incredible. Yeah. We, yeah. we, we never the sat still. It's incredible there. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. the underwater wildlife. Okay. So yeah. the next one I'm curious about is the Congo because everybody knows about the gorillas of the Congo. Mm. So tell us a little bit about the Congo. So the, the Congo is. And we, we need to be careful here. You know, there, there's two Congos. You've got the, the DRC, Democratic Republic of Congo, and you've got the Republic of Congo. And everybody has a, quite a negative uh, mental image about the Congo, and they just group them together um, because of, of the wars and things that have been going on. That is typically the Democratic Republic of Congo. We, we send people to the Republic of Congo, Brazzaville, um, which is uh, completely safe. And it's an amazing experience to go out into Odzala National Park and you go and you track the, the lowland gorillas there. So um, you've got your mountain gorillas in Uganda and Rwanda, and then you've got your lowland gorillas down in, uh, in the Congo rainforest. Um, it's, it's quite an adventurous trip. It's very remote. 
Um, there's only lots a couple of, of movement, there. <laughs> lots yeah. of walking, <laughs> lots of walking, canoeing, boating, um, going and sitting in in the byes and these open clearings and watching the the forest elephants and forest buffalo and things like that come down, um, and then you get the opportunity to go and track the the lowland gorillas and and you spend one hour with them. Uh, they're completely habituated, so they're very relaxed around people. Um, and and just yeah, seeing gorillas in their natural habitat is is mind blowing. Uh, you know, looking into their eyes and they look back at you, and you can see that connection. You can feel it. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's an amazing experience. I'm, I'm fortunate. I've been invited to the Congo in, in November. Um, very very excited to be going and and seeing it and experiencing it. Um, so yeah, I'll keep you posted. Well, that, yes. And if you want to come back just for a conversation about the Congo, I'd love to have you on. So, yeah. um, you know what, just sounds like, like the kind of experience you want to have in your lifetime, you know, like a lifetime experience of getting close with the gorillas. I mean, I yeah. love, I love monkeys and I mean, I know gorillas are apes, but I'm just saying, yeah. I like all kinds of apes and monkeys and yeah. all that stuff. They're very smart. Right. Okay. Exactly. So, yeah. so a couple questions I have are, what would you consider like your most popular, um, thing that gets requested or that you recommend like if someone only has one trip in their lifetime to go experience africa like what would you recommend that they do uh, very it's a very difficult question to answer it's very <laughs> open-ended you know africa is is every country is completely different but if if you had one trip to africa Wait, well, let me I'm, add something. Let me add something. Okay. No expense spared. Like the one trip that anyone could have, mm. you know, like yeah, no limit on what you spend. Okay. So give us okay. like the perfect experience with you. No limits on money. Typically for a first timer, I would, I would start the conversation around South Africa or Tanzania. South Africa from the point of view that it, it has a lot of variety. You know, you've got Cape Town, you've got the Winelands. Um, it's a really nice, easy way to, to come into Africa and, and kind of get started. Then you've got the Sabi Sands, Timbavati, and other safari areas around South Africa. Very comfortable accommodation. Um, and I think for people that are a little bit nervous about Africa, South Africa is a really safe bet in that sense. Um, you know, some of the other countries, Tanzania and Botswana, Zimbabwe, your camps are out in the wilderness. There's no fences often, so you often have animals coming through the camp. Whereas in South Africa, it's a little bit more safer. You know, you've got proper lodges, fencing around. Um, so the animals stay on their side and you stay on your side and then you go and do your safari. So I think for someone that's maybe a little bit nervous, South Africa is generally a very good bet to, to come for the first time. And then Tanzania, uh, just from the pure point that you're going to see so much wildlife, you know, the migration is happening throughout the year. You're going to be in amongst 3 million wildebeest and zebras. They're crossing rivers and all sorts of exciting things like that. Um, and you've got the variety in, in Tanzania. You know, you've got some open areas. You've got grasslands. You've got the Ngoro Crater. You can do amazing cultural experiences in Tanzania. And then you can combine that with the beaches. There's some amazing islands off the coast of Tanzania as well. So, Tanzania is one of those, you know, tick off the boxes, one, one destination, uh, and you get to do everything. If it were me on my trip, um, <laughs> I... With all I, the years experience you have. Yeah, the, it's, and it's difficult. Um, you know, I, 
I've got a very soft spot for Zambia. Zambia is it's one of those countries that doesn't get a lot of publicity. It doesn't have a very big marketing budget. Uh, and so it's not as well known. Um, but it, it kind of fits me perfectly. It's small privately owned camps and often privately run camps, so owner-run camps. Um, amazing guiding and incredible experiences. You've got canoeing, you've got your game drives, and then you do a lot of walking safaris. And I love walking safaris. It's, for me, it's one of the best ways to experience Africa, to be on foot, tracking animals, understanding the, the signs that they've left behind, learning a little bit more about the medicinal uses of plants from the guide and things like that. It's, it's a very educational experience and you see things that you typically miss when you're in a vehicle. Um, so for me, a walking safari is, is the ultimate way to experience Africa. And Zambia is all about walking safaris. Um, Botswana behind me, you know, just the pure, the sheer size of the concessions in the wilderness there, is, and it's completely untouched, um, makes it a very special experience, a very special destination. I go back as often as I can. I was in Botswana twice last year. Um, so every opportunity I get, I go into Botswana and I, I just, I love the freedom that you get there, the, the ability to, to drive for miles and miles and miles, not see anybody else have the incredible sightings to yourself. But what makes Botswana quite cool as well is you can, you can do a very rustic camp on an Island where it was like what I did when I was growing up, when I was 12, we camped on an island in the middle of the Okavango Delta with my parents. We didn't have a guide. We didn't have a rifle. We went looking for elephants on foot. And, and after about four or five hours of tracking them, we came across them. Luckily, they ran one way, we ran the other way. Um, and, and Botswana offers the ability to be able to do a similar experience to that, but obviously in a much more comfortable and safe way. Um, so combining that with a nice luxury camp and getting that, uh, that experience is amazing. And then the other thing I really love is helicopters. Um, I always wanted to be a helicopter pilot when I was a child. Um, and so I try and incorporate helicopters into experiences as much as possible. So in Kenya and Tanzania, and again in Botswana, we can offer some amazing helicopter experiences into extremely remote areas that you can't get to otherwise. Um, you know, in Botswana, you go in and land on an island. You can have a champagne stop or a picnic on this island in the middle of nowhere, only accessible by helicopter. Uh, in Kenya, we can organize picnic breakfasts around uh, Mount Kenya, the very top of Mount Kenya. There's some uh, alpine lakes and things like that up there. You could fly up there and have a breakfast and then continue exploring around. Um, so, yeah, I think for me, a combination of walking, helicopters, and then if time allowed, I would uh, I would end off in the Seychelles on a nice beach, snorkeling with manta rays. That's awesome. Okay, you know what came, comes to mind next is what is the ideal client for you? Like I saw on your website that you can do like a honeymoon, which is obviously like two people, safaris mm -hmm. all the way up to what would you say with your network of lodges and what have you? Like, what's the maximum number of people that is ideal for one trip together um, mm -hmm. to, to combine? So, because, you know, not all lodges have, you yeah. know, 80 rooms or whatever. So, like, if, if there's a corporation yep. that wants to take its, its executives or its sales team mm -hmm. or whatever, like, what are those numbers for you? So, 
the most I've, I've booked for at the moment is a, a family of 15. Um, and I think with the lodges and that that we're using for them, that that's a nice size. Um, you know, they're going up into Kenya and we've got private houses for them. So they've got the whole house to themselves. Um, and, and yeah, that's amazing. I think when, when you have that private house for yourself and your family, it just gives you so much more freedom and flexibility and you feel completely at home. You're not sharing it with anybody else. Um, so I'd say, yeah, 12 to 15 is probably a comfortable maximum. Anything more than that, there are properties, you know, we would then take over a, a whole safari camp, uh, and typically your safari camps have between six and 12 tents. So we could do up to 24, uh, sometimes more. Uh, I've had a request for a honeymoon uh, but or wedding kind of party. It was about 60 odd guests. And there we just combined different properties together that were in the same area. Okay. Um, and we managed to make that work. So, so yeah, you know, we, we can make things work. But I'd say typically your honeymoon is amazing. Uh, coming and spending your honeymoon in Africa, the bucket list sort of destination, and spending that together as your as your first trip as as a married couple, um, a bit of adventure, amazing food, a tent of service, uh, and then going and spending time relaxing on the beach at the end. And then I love families when you get a family together and the kids, you know, getting to experience this uh, is yeah, it's mind blowing. Um, okay. So, yeah, I'd say 12 to 15 probably is a comfortable maximum. Okay. So, you know what else comes to mind now is um, for those who are addicted to their cell phones, let's talk about when you go on these trips. <laughs> I think you know where my question is going. When we go into the remote reaches mm -hmm. of Africa or Tanzania or Botswana, when we go to these lodges, do we have cellular access or is that something you just knock off the table that you're leaving the world of the internet? Like help us understand what do we really have to get prepared for? <laughs> so I, I, I wish it was leaving the world behind and, and kind of focusing in <laughs> on where you are. Um, but but nowadays people need to be connected. So most of the lodges, not all of them, most of them will have some form of satellite internet, Wi-Fi. Um, it varies. Some of them will only have it in the main area. Some of them will only have it in the rooms. Um, but given the remoteness of, of these destinations, of these camps and lodges, it's not the sort of thing that you'd be able to do a, a Zoom call or something like that. You know, it's <laughs> is to send WhatsApps, maybe send a couple of pictures, upload a couple of pictures on uh, on Instagram of where you are and what you're seeing. Um, but it's not the sort of thing where you're going to sit and stream Netflix videos. Um, yeah, yeah, don't plan on working when you come to the safari, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, and I think, you know, I, I used to work for a camp operator and we were always battling between ourselves whether we should introduce internet or not within the camps because, you know, we're quite purist in that sense, or I am, and, and a few of us at that point were as well, in that this is, you know, the the scenes behind us, that's what you should be enjoying, right. not, not glued behind your screen. But, you know, we get a lot of CEOs traveling, and they need to be connected, um, or you've got family members that are traveling and someone's sick back home, they need to have that connection. Um, so it, it is important nowadays to have that that Wi-Fi in, in a few of the camps, but... Yeah, just don't be prepared for a hundred meg download or more. Um, you know, it's it's quite slow and can be quite frustrating. 
Right. Well, and, and the whole point is to get away, right? To be able to unplug and to get away and Correct. enjoy enjoy life before internet, right? We, we know. I think you're old enough. You actually know what that life was like. Yes. <laughs> Me Indeed. too. Indeed. Me too. Yeah. Half of my life was uh, before internet and be. What do I say? I say BI and, you know, AI, you know, after yeah. internet and before internet. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, no, we, we we used a, a slogan uh, in a in a previous job where it was you know disconnect to reconnect. Um, when you've got these families traveling together and and uh, you know maybe dad is a CEO and mom's an executive and they're so busy at work and and kids are, are at school and boarding school and things like that and coming together on this experience you do need to disconnect to to reconnect. So I think that's quite a, a strong value. Um, and and I think when when people get there, their mindset is, I'm going to be disconnected. I'm not going to have, uh, you know, access to internet and things like that. It, it does freak them out. But when they get there, it takes a day or two, and then they realize why, and they understand. And you can see that, ah, you know, that release and, and relax yeah. and, and then start enjoying the experience. So, um, yeah, I, I, wish, I wish it was more more of it, but... Uh, yeah, people do need to stay connected for various reasons. I just like to ask the questions people are going to want to know, you know, so that's why I asked. Um, mm -hmm. All right. So of the things that we've talked about, are there any other um, safari style experiences that you want to take this time to tell us about that I didn't ask you about? Or do you think we covered them all? Was it before we hit the record button that you were saying most people like to come to Africa to see the big five? I think we talked about that before we hit the record yeah. button. So do you want to bring that conversation to the listener and then tell us why, you know, mm -hmm. the other? So when I think when a lot of people think of Africa, they think of the wildlife, they think of the big five and coming in and ticking, you know, those those boxes. But there's so much more to Africa than just that. The landscapes are incredible. We've got everything from the jungles of the Congo and Rwanda and, and Uganda, Madagascar. Uh, we've got the big open grassy plains of the Serengeti. We've got the wetlands of the Okavango Delta and Botswana. And then we've got incredible deserts uh, in Namibia. You know, the Namib Desert is it's just completely barren. So we've got so much to offer in terms of landscape. Um, and then the people, the people are amazing. They're so welcoming um, and you need to get to know them. You need to interact with the staff at the camps. Um, I, I hear it so often where guests have been staying in a particular camp and they've stayed there for three nights. And when they go to leave, they're crying because they've built up such a strong bond with the staff in the camp. Because it, again, it goes back to that whole intimate experience of of seeing the wildlife for the first time and being in this incredible landscape um, and engaging with, with the people. Um, so yeah, I, I try and encourage my guests is yes, go and see the wildlife, but try and do as many experiences as you can, the walking, the helicopters, the canoeing um, and get to know the people. Uh, it's, it's very important. And when you start talking to the staff in the camps, especially if they come from the local villages, and a lot, a lot of the guides and the staff in the camps come from the village down the road, and you start understanding what it was like for them growing up in this sort of environment and how they had to walk 10, 15, 20 miles in the morning to go to school and then back again in the, in the evening, or they have to walk five miles to go and collect water and things like that. You can start to understand a little bit more about the culture and the life in Africa. Um, 
And that for me, it's, it's very, very important. Um, so yes, see your wildlife in, it's amazing. Um, and you will never forget that, but dig deeper, get a little bit more under the skin of the country uh, that you're visiting and speak to the people and get to know a little bit more about who they are. Okay. I know like probably 50% of the population knows what the big five are, but will you tell us for the audience who doesn't know what those big five are that they should be looking for? So your big five are your lion, your leopard, elephant, buffalo, and then your rhino. Um, it's a, it basically goes back to the hunting days. Uh, and those were the five most dangerous animals to hunt. So that's why they were at the top of the list of a lot of hunters to come out to Africa and shoot those animals because they were the most dangerous. Um, it's now kind of pulled through into the photographic uh, safari industry. Um, and that, that term, the big five has stuck because they, you know, they're synonymous with being the most dangerous. It makes me so sad to see people bragging with their elephant head that they shot. I mean, why is that even allowed in the country is, I mean, they're not growing, they're not making babies fast enough for the, the hunters. Why, why is that even legal to kill an animal like that? It's a, that's a whole new discussion. We could go on for hours about that. <laughs> um, you know, the the hunters see themselves as conservationists because they they local employment the meat they they harvesting is going back into the local communities and things like that um but uh, the reality is it's yeah it's not not like that at all um i mean it's not keeping up the production of the animals isn't keeping up with the the killing is it yeah no the, from from a hunting point of view, the professional hunting point of view, it, it is a little bit. It's it's quite regulated in terms of the number oh, of allowing how animals many? that can be uh-huh. can be hunted every year okay. in specific areas. Um, so there is a lot of science behind it, uh, where they look at okay. the, the holding capacity of an area, and then they go, okay, we can we can take five elephants from yeah, this like area, fin- that like thinning them out or whatever. Yeah, but the the reality is that. Uh, Again, when, when a hunter is meant to go in and, and shoot something, he's meant to shoot the oldest animal that's been kicked out of the herd that's no longer breeding. But when you've got somebody that's paying $50,000 to shoot an elephant, he wants the best elephants. And the best elephants are the ones that are in their prime uh, in breeding. Um, and so the reality is that, that the best animals uh, actually end up getting shot. Yeah, um, just... and I'm sure we all know the the story of Cecil the lion that was shot uh, by the dentist in in Zimbabwe. Um, I was actually fortunate to see Cecil a couple of months before that happened. And um, what a lot of people don't understand about the hunting industry is that Cecil had uh, there were two male lions that were in charge of a pride. Um, they had six very young cubs. Um, and typically what happens is if a male lion is removed from that uh, family environment, other male lions move in and they will kill any cub that is under the age of two years old. And that gets the, the breeding cycle of the females going again a lot quicker so that they can start producing young a lot quicker. Um, and so Cecil was in charge of, he in his pride, he had six females and six cubs. Uh, and I think the cubs were only a couple of months old. And so he got shot. He got taken out of that ecosystem. Uh, his brother that was also part of the pride was now only half, you know, when you have two lions that they're a lot stronger to, to fend off other males, 
now there was only one male. So now bigger prides of, of males were coming in. And so he ran away and he left the six females and the six cubs to fend for themselves. Um, I, I went back to, to Wangi, I think a couple of months, six months after uh, Cecil had been shot and the guides were just distraught. They hadn't seen the six cubs for uh, about a week. They'd seen the tracks leading off somewhere. And then they knew that there were other male lions in that particular area and they hadn't seen the cubs for a week. And so they, they just thought they'd been killed. Um, and we were out on a game drive and we came back and as we were driving back into camp, we bumped into the females with the six cubs and the guides were in tears. They were just so excited that they had survived. But these, these females were, it's an amazing survival story because as soon as they knew other males were coming into the area, they took the cubs and they ran to the other side of the territory and they just kept moving away and stopping any other males from coming in and killing those cubs until they got to about two years old when they were safe. Uh, um, so, it, you know, in this case, it was a, a success lucky. story. But yeah. it could very well have meant that Cecil gets shot, his brother gets kicked out of the pride, and those six cubs get killed as well. Um, did, so it's not just the one line that gets killed in the end. It could have been eight. Did anything happen to that dentist? I mean, was was he in the wrong or whatever? Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, I, okay. I don't know what happened. Don't, uh, I don't want to turn your podcast yeah. into <laughs> into no. that that is story, but what a wonderful outcome. Okay, yeah. so but we need to bring the awareness so that people can know why they want to pick the right type of tour for them. Correct. So that's good. All right. Finally, and wrapping up, I do want to ask you <clears throat> when you go to these places, the lodges is do they feed you like local um traditional foods or do they feed you typical foods that they think their clients want to eat like what is the dining experience when you go to these lodges so it's it's evolved quite a lot over the last few years um you know in the past safaris were synonymous with just eating you'd wake up you'd eat you'd go on a game drive you would eat some more You'd come back to the lodge, you would eat some more, you'd have a bit of a rest, you'd eat some more, go on another game driving, and it's just continuously eating. Um, and it was it was kind of more too, too much very, eating. It was you you're eating all the time and then you're sitting in a game drive vehicle. So there's very little exercise. And so um, you know, we we used to hear it time and time again that you just it's too much food and not enough exercise. So the, the food on Safari has evolved quite a lot. Um, it's a lot fresher. Um, it's a lot lighter, lighter. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wouldn't say it's typical, uh, African food, but what would generally happen is a lot of these camps and lodges would put on a traditional night, maybe every third night, uh, they would put on a traditional night where it's then more traditional food, your sadza, mini meal, uh, a lot of meat cooked on the fire, um, and that sort of stuff. So people do get to experience a little bit more of the, of the local cuisine and food um it's often eaten outside in a boma so you're under the stars there's fires around um you know and it's, it's quite a quite a romantic sort of setting and, and enjoying the fire the the song you know the staff often then just come in and start singing and dancing and it's it's quite an incredible experience so yeah nice light healthy food and then uh at least once during a stay they'll get a traditional evening as well it sounds like these are so small that you're like family. When you come to stay, they're almost like treating you like come into our home 
and where yeah. we sit around and play instruments at night to entertain ourselves and yeah. you get to enjoy that experience right exactly it's exactly like that awesome that sounds wonderful mm-hmm. i have uh, enjoyed this conversation immensely is there anything that you want to say in wrapping up that maybe i didn't even know i should be asking you the questions Whew. Uh, you yeah. hard questions. Yeah, I think uh, I think we've covered quite a lot. Um, yeah, it, you know, Africa is it's it's a very exciting destination. It's it's unlike anything else in the world. Um, and and I wish more people could come and experience it. We we are very busy. Uh, it seems to be the hot destination at the moment. Um, and finding availability now is is quite tricky. Um, a safari is not a last minute.com sort of uh, trip. <laughs> you do need to plan ahead. Uh, you know, when we were talking earlier about the families of 15, you need to be looking at 2025, 2026, if you want to, to be doing things like that. So um, yeah, plan ahead, plan ahead and don't be afraid to book for 2025. Okay. So if somebody wants to book you, how do they find you? Where are you? Like not only your, um, I know you're on Instagram because you and I connected or somebody from your company connected with my Instagram. So tell us all ways we can go be a part of your social and where do we reach out to you if we want to ask you more questions? Sure. So Instagram is Stanley underscore safaris. I think that's it. Um, And then the website is stanley-safaris.com. Uh, you can go on there and then our contact details, email address, uh, all of that sort of stuff is on there. You can send an inquiry form through and then I would get that and then set up a call. I'm very active on WhatsApp. Um, you know, so I like to use WhatsApp just to throw a couple of questions backwards and forwards and then schedule a call from there. So yeah, best way is to, to go onto the website, send through an inquiry. Um, and then from there, we, we start the, the, the fun part of planning because it really is a fun part to, you know, starting to talk about it and, and start to come up with some ideas. So yeah, that's the best way. That's awesome. It sounds like from our conversation, you're just providing an amazing service for people. And again, I'll just reiterate a custom tailored Mm -hmm. service for people. Right. So I thank you. I thank you for being on the global travel junkie podcast today And I hope that lots of people find your video and find a way to experience Africa in all of its beauty, right? Yeah, this has been really fun. Thank you. Awesome. All right. Well, hang in there and we'll say goodbye to our guest right now. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed the show today. And if you'd like to be a guest on the Global Travel Junkie podcast and YouTube channel, reach out to us at our contact us form at globaltraveljunkie.com. We hope to see you out traveling. Adios. Ciao. Au revoir.